Before we get started on Office Talk with Raleigh Magazine, we'd like to tell you about the Miracle Moments Luncheon to benefit Easter Seals UCP Port Health. Earfluence, which produces this podcast, is a proud sponsor, and we'd like you to join us May 1st, 2024 at 1130 Eastern Time at the Hilton Garden Inn in Cary. This event helps raise funds and awareness for the life-changing direct services provided to more than 40,000 children, adults, and families living with disabilities, mental health, and substance challenges so they can live their best lives. We'll put more information on Easter Seals and the luncheon in the show notes, but again, that's Wednesday, May 1st at 1130 at the Hilton Garden Inn in Cary, and we hope to see you there. Attention bourbon lovers, are you ready for a taste sensation like no other? Old Raleigh Distillery, recently awarded Best Micro Distillery in the U.S., invites you to experience the art of whiskey blending firsthand. Located just east of Raleigh in downtown Zebulon, the distillery specializes in premium, micro-batched bourbon, and limited-release whiskeys. Visit the tasting room Tuesday through Sunday to savor a wide variety of whiskeys, specialty cocktails, wine, and beer. And don't miss a chance to peek behind the curtain with a tour of the blending operation every Saturday and Sunday at 1 and 2 p.m. For more information and to plan your visit, visit oldraleydistillery.com. Follow on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Old Raleigh Distillery for exclusive updates and behind-the-scenes content. Old Raleigh Distillery, where every sip tells a story. Hey, everyone. Happy New Year. Hard to believe it's already 2023. 2022 was an amazing year for the Raleigh Magazine team, and part of that was launching this podcast. Thank you for listening, engaging, and helping to launch Office Talk with Raleigh Magazine to the top 10% global rank in its first year. We'll be back next week with new inside baseball on what's going on around Raleigh. Until then, give a listen to Podcast Raleigh from our friends Ashton Smith and Hayes Pramar. In this episode, they chat with Rhett Fussell from Raleigh Area Land Trust. As home prices have skyrocketed, affordable housing has become an even hotter topic, and Rhett talks about what the Raleigh Area Land Trust is doing to help. Enjoy the episode, and we'll be back to chat next week. This is... Podcast Rally. With your hosts, Ashton and Hayes. We as a society and we as a market in Raleigh are keeping people out of owning homes, right? It's not necessarily that they don't want to, it's that they can't. And so for me, it was a big reality check to say, wait, these are folks that are working, you know, 40 hour jobs like all the rest of us. You know, police officers, teachers, you know, people that run retail stores. I mean, all all kinds of things, restaurant workers, and they should be afforded the same opportunities as the rest of us and just couldn't. So that's kind of what I opened it for me. Welcome into Podcast Rally, Season 4, Episode 4. In today's episode, we learn about land trusts from Rhett Fussell, the founder and interim director of RALT, the Raleigh Area Land Trust, a first of its kind in Wake County. What is a land trust? How does it work? And how did Rhett come to get involved in nonprofit real estate? Rhett Fussell is an NC State grad and a transportation engineer, but after purchasing some real estate, he learned firsthand what has since become perhaps the city's most discussed issue. It's hard to afford a house. That eventually led him to help start the Raleigh Area Land Trust, a model of preserving affordable housing that has been used in cities across the country, including in Durham and Chapel Hill, but is a first here in Wake County. Ralt has purchased a few homes and landed a big project in partnership with the city and some local developers, a cottage court in Southeast Raleigh. We discussed that project, land trusts, and how Rhett got involved in this type of work to begin with. But first, we started by finding out what brought him to Raleigh. So I was actually born in Germany, um, transpired over to Wilmington. So I grew up in Wilmington, actually. Um, and then you're right, came to NC State in 1990. Um, so I'm old as hell. And then graduated from there in 96, worked here for about 10 years in North Carolina, moved to Oregon for four years, and then came back to Raleigh. So I've been back about, about 10 years. So yeah, that's kind of who and how I got here. Was it just school that, that brought you to Raleigh? Just like I knew what I wanted to do in NC State? Or did you have any connection or uh, impressions of Raleigh being somebody who grew up in Wilmington? Or do you remember your impressions when you first came to live here? Well, so yeah, ironically, the only thing I knew about Raleigh was my dad had attended NC State for you know probably two or three years um, and then didn't graduate from here ultimately. So that's literally the only thing I knew, but he was an NC state fan. 
uh, I was good in math. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do something related to engineering. And that's kind of how I ended up here. You know, nothing more glorious than that. <laughs> it's certainly a different place now than I'm sure it was when you, you came to school. <laughs> way, way different for sure. All right. So I don't, if my, my memory of kind of your career path is not like left engineering school, jumped into building land trusts. So tell us a little bit about kind of what that evolution was, but a little bit more too about how you decided to get into the affordable housing conversation. Yeah, that's a good question. So I'm a transportation engineer by trade. You're right. So I went to school for, to be a civil engineer um, and I've worked on mostly um, <clears throat> some computer simulation projects across the country, which is mostly transit related. So trying to figure out who rides transit and why and where and, you know, things like, um, you know, the New Bern Avenue, cor Avenue corridor and the commuter rail It's those kind of things that I do. Um but I've always had this sort of passion for real estate um, in general. Um, and so I have, you know, I bought a couple of homes um, that were Section 8 housing, uh, or one of them was, and <clears throat> sort of got interested in, well, how did this work? And how do, you know, how do these, the people that live in the homes get here? And how does, you know, the, the housing in general work, um, since I didn't know anything about it? Um, learn some fascinating things, I guess you could say, about how um, that whole process works or doesn't work for probably the right term. Uh, and was like, wow, this is crazy, right? Like, um, you know, how do people get into this um, of being able to sort of build some sort of family wealth and equity or anything, right? I mean, um, because luckily I never really rented. And so I, I didn't understand the whole rental thing. So that's kind of how I got into it. Once I realized, wait a minute, there's a, a huge need out there. Um, and, and friends of mine actually in casual conversation, um, because I had used equity from my home to acquire these properties. Right. And so I didn't think anything about it. I thought that was sort of a normal, you know, this is the way life works. And friends were like, uh, no, I, I don't have anything that I could sort of borrow against or whatever. And I was like, I never really thought about it. Right. Um, and they were like, yeah, I'll never own a home because, you know, I'm a school teacher. I can't afford a home or, you know, whatever the situation was. That's when I was like, whoa, like what? Well, I need to step back and kind of do things differently. So, you know, I have the luxury of going part-time at work, my career for affords me that ability to do so financially. Um, and so I just started doing this on the side um, to get there. And without digging too far, because I know Section 8 is a big, big thing. Um, if somebody is listening to this and they're unfamiliar with the idea, you know, I imagine a lot of our listeners probably don't have a ton of experience with how that model works, who funds it, who's eligible for it. Is there a kind of quick summary you can give us and sort of what the what works and what doesn't work about it? Yeah, so um, I'm not an expert at Section 8 housing at all. Um, it is a, a lot of uh, oversight and um, red tape. Good, good red tape, but just red tape. <laughs> um, and so it, it is essentially, you know, a lot of subsidies for for extremely low income individuals, um, but less less than 30 percent AMI most of the time. So of the area median income um, and it requires um, people that are the landlords to go through all kinds of background checks and then also all kinds of inspections and stuff. And it, it is literally a, a really, really can be a really, really big drag. So um, I, I'm just not an expert enough to talk more about it, you know, but I'll leave yeah. it there. But when you, when you said your eyes were opened by when you, you purchased section eight housing and you know nothing about it, what were the things that, yeah. So, yeah. I'll, and I'll even take out the Section 8 piece of it. Right. I mean, for sure. me, it was just a learning experience about affordable housing um, at all levels. And so, yeah, it was the understanding that, wait, th this isn't accessible to everyone, um, that a lot of people don't have any way to have any sort of down payment to even try to get into a home, um, given where we are in Raleigh and how, you know, um, ideal and, and where people want to be here they want to be here right it, that sort of made it makes it even worse right because um <clears throat> the the supply that we have is is was worse and so what it made me realize was look we as a society and we as a market in raleigh are keeping people out of 
owning homes, right? It's not necessarily that they don't want to, it's that they can't. And so for me, it was a big reality check to say, wait, these are folks that are working, you know, 40 hour jobs, like all the rest of us, you know, police officers, teachers, you know, people that run retail stores. I mean, all, all kinds of things, restaurant workers, and they should be afforded the same opportunities as the rest of us. Um, and just couldn't. So that's kind of what I opened it for me. Um, so it didn't really have to do all about section eight, but it was more about housing in general and kind of how that really was working in the background. And so correct me if I'm wrong on any of these things, section eight is mostly focused on rental housing and that is a federal government funded program. Locally, if you are thinking about rental assistance, there's some other different opportunities and options around, but when you separate rentals versus ownership, that's when programs start and availability of funding and those things start to change. Um, and if, for example, Raleigh has got some down payment assistance for people who qualify in different areas, and sometimes there's banking opportunities and things like that. But in my experience, there's not a lot of models of that, but we don't see this land trust concept a whole lot in Raleigh. So can you talk a little bit about what the landscape looks like for home ownership support in affordable housing and then how a land trust, what a land trust even is and how sure. it fits into that? Yeah, so that's a good question. So um, <clears throat> let's maybe step back and we'll start with, well, what a land trust is. Uh, and then we can talk about what the other opportunities are that presently do exist. Um, so back to your former part of the question. So uh, you're right. This is Raleigh's first and only <laughs> land trust. Um, and I say Raleigh, but it's really Wake County. So we're called the Raleigh Area Land Trust for a reason. We didn't want it to only be Raleigh centric um, because there's a lot of Wake County that needs housing. Um, and so it is all of Wake County that we will serve and do serve. The goal is to preserve affordability long term. So um, that's to keep you know affordable units in place for a long period of time, but also trying to help um, sort of low to moderate income individuals get into home ownership, otherwise not attainable, as you mentioned. Um, And so we sort of try to have to balance long-term affordability with someone building wealth and equity, right? Um, And so that's where the land trust steps in because um, our goal is exactly that, to start that stepping stone process. I call it a stepping stone process because it sort of gets them in the door Um, so that they then can build some sort of stability to potentially, and most of the time do, move on to a market rate home. Um, So the land trust itself is pretty simple and basic when you just break it down. And that is we buy homes and land um, and we build structures on them if they don't have them on there. We sell the home, the actual structure, to individuals and we own the land forever. So basically think of it as, you know, two separate pieces, right? They lease the land from us. So they own the actual home. They can make improvements to it. Uh, They can change, you know, any and everything about it. Um, But they lease the land from us. So that does a couple things. It reduces the amount of money that it requires to own that home because the land component essentially comes out almost all the time. Um, It also basically allows us to serve individuals that typically wouldn't have qualified, right? Um, So you think of it as like habitat, but with a twist in the fact that we remove the land out of the equation. Um, And so that's the gist of a land trust is separating the land and the home um, from from each other, essentially. Um, But there's a catch that there's equity share on the back end. That's how the long-term piece stays in. A local icon since 1949 and where Raleigh comes to celebrate, savor, and enjoy. Village District is celebrating 75 years of tradition and taste. You can join the celebration for their 75th anniversary on Saturday, April 20th from 3 to 8 p.m. on Woodburn Road. Enjoy live music, pop-ups, a kid-friendly area, and the launch of their Village 75 beer, exclusively brewed by Standard Beer and Food. For more event details and other Village District happenings, you can follow Village District on Instagram at Shop Village District, visit their website at shopvillagedistrict.com, 
or sign up to receive texts by texting the word VILLAGE to 919-701-0202. Okay, so if we were to make an example, let's say there is a piece of property with a home on it that would normally cost $250,000. I know that that is an impossible number in this market, but it is simple for math. So um, <laughs> let's say that the land itself has the value of $100,000 and the structure has the value of $150,000. So a person then is able to purchase the structure, $100,000, basically below what they would normally spend. And so how does that, I guess the question I'm trying to ask or to try to have you illustrate is how the equity piece stays. And the reason for that is that one of the things that I've seen in the um, housing space is that, you know, let's say you get in that city program, you're able to buy the house and the land for $250,000 as part of a city first time home buyer thing. And you sell the house next, you know, in four, five, 10 years now you're selling a house at market rate. So this house that was originally an affordable house, you've been able to build that equity in, but it's no longer affordable housing. It's market rate housing. So I'm I'm hoping to get you to um, kind of talk a little bit about how the equity is maintained there, because that's one of the hardest pieces of this puzzle. You have just literally hit on exactly why the land trust was started. That example, what you just said, is a good example for two things. One, it does a fantastic job at helping one homeowner, literally one person. They make a lot of money off of that transaction, you know, um, and that's great for that one individual. But it no longer is affordable for anyone. Um, and now any sort of what I call subsidy that was put in, so down payment assistance or land donated by the city, that is now gone. It is literally gone forever. The difference in the land trust is this. So back to your $250,000 example, and let's say the land was $100,000. They are purchasing the home for $150,000. Let's say in 10 years, they want to sell the home. So the way the land trust works is we guarantee them 1.5% per year for every year they stay in the home based on the sales price that they purchased. So they bought it for $150,000. 10 years from now, they get 15%, right? 1.5 times the 10%. Um, and then, so they get an equity piece of 22,000 at the end of that 10 years, right? Plus whatever they've paid in principle. So just like the rest of, you know, homeowners, um, they have a mortgage just like you and I would, but whatever principle they've paid during that 10 years, they're obviously going to get that back. Right. And so, um, they get that plus this 22,000 in equity. So, you know, in your example, it's 50 to $60,000 after that 10 years that they're going to have. The catch is they've been given limited equity, right? They've only gotten one and a half percent per year. The reason is because the rest of it stays in the home. So all the property value that, you know, has increased stays in the home. It's not going to the, you know, us, we're not making profit off of it. It stays in the home because that allows us to sell it to the next homeowner at a really reduced rate. And so basically we only increase the price by $22,000. So whatever the first person got, the next person's going to get it for that, you know, that reduced rate plus whatever equity was put in. So, in the past, the trend has been that we can serve at least four households over a 30, 35 year period and it remain affordable and never even get back to the original sales price uh, that it was worth. And so I think that proves what you just said, Ashton, which is it's it's providing a longer term situation for equity, for subsidies, all that kind of stuff. Um, is it limiting people's equity? A hundred percent, right? But it's part of a shared pay it forward kind of thing. You know, you got a chance to get into a situation you probably wouldn't have had otherwise. And and therefore on the back end, you're doing the same for others. All right. I have some more questions that, that'll get into Well, We got a lot more <laughs> details to get into, but I'm, I'm, I want to start with, I'm curious, like, how did you find out that this was the model that you want to get involved in? Like when you said uh, something needs to be done and I want to make a difference from my end of the world, how did you come upon land trust as the way, way to do it? Good question. Um, so we actually had a steering committee of folks. Um, this actually started from a philanthropic family. It was their idea of, Hey, we need to think about things differently. Um, and so we put together a steering committee um, of about eight or nine folks to think about what are our options and land trust was one of those options that 
a few people had heard about. Um, obviously, Durham has one and Chapel Hill has one. It made no sense that Raleigh or Wake County didn't have one, given that we're probably in a worse situation, you know, as far as affordable homes are concerned. <clears throat> so we just kind of looked through it and, and this became an option that didn't per presently exist. That was something that was trending towards a huge, huge nationwide thing. And so that's, that's the one we chose because it didn't exist. There were no other people serving, you know, folks in that range. So we, we were typically serving 50 to 80% AMI. There was really nothing else in that 50 to 80%, you know, category um, being served. So that's kind of why we chose it. Well, I do feel like that that there are a lot of advantages that you've told us about to this model, especially compared to other, you know, affordable housing purchasing and ownership solutions. Um, but what are some of the disadvantages? Is it really just that there's a limited amount of equity or are there other pieces to that? You know, that, is, that was kind of going to be my question. I just didn't want to get straight into disadvantages. Sure. No, <laughs> I think that's a great question. And it's a fair question. I, I think um, that is the primary disadvantage. It truly is that people see it as a disadvantage because um, it is viewed as uh, an attempt to limit people's wealth and equity building potential. Um, and, and I would say um, that in fact, like I said, it's not that we are limiting them. The market is truly limiting them. Right. I mean, let's think about it. Right. These are folks that currently have no chance of owning a home. They literally will never own a home. Um, they might be renters, you know, in various situations. And so if you think about it right now, they're making zero in equity. They're building zero in wealth. At least this gets them in um, and provides some sort of stability that provides, you know, some longer term wealth and equity. Is it the end all be all? 100% not. But again, we have to balance both long term affordability and individual wealth. Um, and so that's really the negative, I would think, um, you know, disadvantage, I think. But there's a lot of advantages. And can a buyer layer, you know, like I know that there is, for example, down payment assistance available for people with certain incomes. Could you layer that with a land trust model? Yep. Yep. A hundred percent. And we're, we're, we're obviously working with um, the city and county to do just that. Um, so yeah, a hundred percent. And that's one of the reasons we can sort of buy down the cost even more um, is because of that. Is there room for like multiple land trusts? I mean, is this something that somebody else could replicate? It there there are room for multiple land trusts. Uh, you know, like uh, Minneapolis has uh, two or three um, in different sort of neighborhoods. Uh, we set ours up to take care of all of Wake County because it is a painful, painful process, and so. It, Without dedicated funding, like if someone tried to start their own, it, it is it is painful. Like it, it takes a long time to think through all the decisions that need to be made, the structure and all that. So our hope is that the Wake County sort of Raleigh Area Land Trust will be the oversight for everything. And if if individuals wanted to start or had the ability to start or they wanted to be the key contact, then we would sort of incorporate that. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, what about scope? Like what, how many houses are you buying? How much land right now? When did you start? What's your goals? You yeah. know, what's, what's happening? Yeah. So, uh, so we've been working at this about three years, believe it or not, we've sort of been hiding, you know, in the background, trying to do our due diligence. Um, <clears throat> but last year we bought two homes, uh, in June of last year with the help, um, from the city, to be honest, they should get full credit. They took a chance on, uh, unestablished nonprofit, um, because they saw the value in building this model. And so we purchased two homes. Uh, our goal is that we would put them on the market, uh, sometime in March, uh, sorry, of uh, May of this year. Um, and so our first two homeowners will be those two homes, which are in Southeast Raleigh. Um, so the, the, the land trust isn't officially a land trust yet, as we don't have homeowners in those homes yet. Um, but we're working towards it. We also have two other transactions. We're working with the County that should close probably in the next two months. Uh, so that'll put us at four homes. Um, and then the big one is the, the, the piece downtown. Um, that we won, you know, a lot of people know about, and I can talk in detail about that. Um, but I think the land trust itself is slowly but surely getting to a point where it's ready to be full time. Um, 
and, and get things rolling. All right. Well, uh, we'll talk about that project in just a second. A couple more details. How do you decide what homes to buy and how do you decide uh, who the who the buyers will be? Do you call them buyers? Yeah, we'll call them Just buyers. Like, yep. Yeah, yeah. I yep. don't know if there was a... Um, uh, homeowners. We call them homeowners. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, but how do we decide? Well, uh, given the market that we have, our chance of competing on the open market is almost next to nothing, right? Uh, you know, like others, we we can't offer 50000 over asking and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, because... Our homes typically are less than $200,000 when we sell them to someone. So $350,000 is just not in the equation for us. So most of our homes have been from folks that knew who we were, that owned rentals, that wanted to you know, sell them to somebody to keep them long-term affordable. Um, and so they're just doing the right thing. Uh, others are folks like Casa, who owns a bunch of um, single family or multifamily smaller projects across the, the state, sorry, the, the county. And they don't want them to become teardowns and, you know, uh, mega mansions. And so they're working with us as well to keep them so that they can use their money for other things that they're, you know, sort of focusing on. So it's things like that um, where we're getting most of ours. We hope that we will also be able to um, convince you know, homeowners that are late in age that instead of selling to the highest bidder um, that they sell to us, because we're not, you know, we'll pay some a fair market value uh, the best we can to keep it sort of in that affordable range. So that's kind of where we're getting our current homes. Uh, homeowners themselves will apply to us just like they would for Habitat or whoever. Um, and <clears throat> we have a list of criteria that they have to meet. And those criteria are you have to be a U.S. citizen or a documented alien, resident alien. Then you also have to be in that 50 to 80% area median income. So you have to meet the income targets. Once you do those two things, uh, then you're qualified um, with some, you know, credit um, history of some sort. And then because we know we're not going to have houses for everyone at the start, we have developed a, a scoring criteria. And that is only to um, rank people um to, to get the best folks in the house to beat things like uh, size of the home that we have. We don't want a, you know, one person household and a three bedroom, three bed house, you know, that kind of thing. Um, we, we, we are prioritizing families because we think that's important um, for stability in neighborhoods and kids and all that kind of thing. So there's, you know, various criteria that we have that we'll be putting out probably sometime next month. Time to add the mix into the mix of your go-to hotspots with signature craft cocktails and neat pours, 12 rotating craft beers, and eight rotating fine wines, plus cider and bubbles. The mix has the perfect pour for everyone. Take flight with beer, wine, whiskey, mezcal, and tequila. Or not in the spirit, craft cannabis gummies and high seltzers also invite. Sprawl out on the patio, post up on the couch with your laptop on a weekday, Catch the big game on multiple TVs or cozy up in the wine library for an upscale paired tasting. Weekly events keep the good times coming from tastings to live music and more. For the full lineup of events and offerings, visit BottleMix.com. Yes, with two X's. So that's BottleMixX.com. And when you think about the land acquisition piece of it, how much does land banking at the city or county level factor into that? That is one of our biggest hopes. Um, I can't, I cannot tell you how valuable I, this is Rhett's personal opinion that, <laughs> okay. that, that, that is to land trust and land, you know, land across the country. Land is the pivotal piece in this equation, hence the word land in the, you know, community land trust. And so, to me, the investment that cities and counties have already made where they own land, it would be a disservice for it not to be into a land bank or land trust type situation. Um, it doesn't mean that Ralt has to own and, and, and put people in it for homes long term, but we should at least own the land so that it stays sort of in that control. Um, I think it's just a better use of taxpayers funds, right, is to assure that, you know, it's owned um, by someone that has its interest at heart instead of 
um, you know, uh, people that are going to use it for other purposes. So I, I think land is the biggest piece and the thing that the city and county could do most. Back in a minute with more Podcast Raleigh. want a hot meal fresh out of your own oven without having to do any of the work? Papa Murphy's Take and Bake Pizza is the answer. Busy parents, starving college kids, babysitters, hungry teenagers, Papa Murphy's Take and Bake Pizza is perfect for everyone in Raleigh. They've got nine locations in Wake County. Find the one nearest you and order online at papamurphys.com. They use only fresh ingredients, including produce from local vendors, and gluten-free options are available. If you want the taste of a great pizza with no wait for a table, go to Papa Murphy's Take and Bake Pizza. What is happening in the real estate market? Is it staying hot? Cooling down? Is it the right time to sell? Should you rent or buy? Is now a good time to purchase an investment property? Real estate decisions come with a lot of questions. Every situation is unique, so when you're ready to start the conversation, reach out to the team at Steel Residential and they'll help you navigate the questions and find the right answers for you. Whether you're looking to buy, rent, invest, or need someone to manage your investment property, call Steel at 919-443-5834 or visit them at steelresidential.com. That's S-T-E-E-L-E, residential.com. Tell us about the project you are now working with and with the city. Yeah, this is a really cool project. Um, I can't tell you how much blood, sweat, and tears I put into this thing. Um, uh, even before this whole you know RFP came out, I, I was I had worked on it for almost two years. You know, I sort of knew it was coming. I had done a, a lot of research about you know what the city's desires were and um, how it could be best use of their funds and that kind of thing. And so for us, um, it was huge because you're now going to have 17 units. So we're building 17 units downtown uh, on about a 1.2 acre piece of land. Um, and that, um, that will have 13 uh, for sale units and four rentals. Um, and we can talk more about why. Um, all of the property will be 80% of the area median income and below but all of the homes will be sold to 50 and 60% AMI individuals. So um, that's a pretty good return. Um, you're serving that missing middle for sure. Um, and so all of our homes will be that. Um, probably, I think Ashton sort of hinted at it earlier, but it's 40 to 50% off of what the market would be. Um, and so that's a pretty good uh, service. Um, and the only way that's possible is because the city had the foresight to make it a dollar. I mean, a plain and simple, you know, it's a million and a half value land. You know, if you had to pay that cost, you're adding a hundred thousand dollars to each one of the homes. So it just makes it unaffordable. So credit to the city, our partners. So our partners are Ralt is the lead developer. Um, uh, Raleigh raised development is our co-development partner on this project. Um, that's Lavelle Moten, um, Terrell Midget, and CJ Mann. So uh, they formed a development company. Um, they're all from Southeast Raleigh, which is fantastic. Um, so they're a part of our project, um, and they're going to help us with selecting the GC. Um, they're going to do a lot of the other you know, stuff that Ralt can't physically do because there's only one or two of us. Um, and then Haven Architecture is our design firm. They're out of Durham. And so the project is in Southeast Raleigh then, is that correct? Yeah, it's uh, on the corner of Lane and Idlewild Streets. Um, yep. Okay. And you said 17 homes, is that right? 17. Okay. And those are, are they, you know, five bedroom homes? Are they one bedroom homes? What do you oh, see in there? Good question. So we have a mix. Um, we have some two bedroom units and then some three um, slash four bedroom units. And they're all varying, you know, types and layouts and sizes. Um, we've set some of them up to be where you can have aging in place. So uh, master suites on the floor, uh, ground floor versus on the upper floor. And then we have some that are only on the upper floor. We've set them so they could be multi-generational um, families, um, which makes a lot of sense uh, in this region, in this market, and especially for um, the individuals that we hope to serve. 
Um, and so I think it's a wide range um, that will be built. I will say it's in a cottage court concept. So that sort of changes the game. That's one of the reasons I think the <clears throat> our proposal was selected was because there are no affordable cottage courts in Raleigh. <laughs> um, and so this will be the first attempt at showing that cottage courts works and that affordability can be a part of that. And will you describe a cottage court if someone has not heard that term before? Uh, of course, that's a good question. Um, so essentially a cottage court is a way to build um, more dense sort of single family slash duplexes in um, a way in which there's a central sort of courtyard in the middle and people are sort of sharing a communal space. And so all of our porches, for example, will face into that courtyard so that you get that sense of community and camaraderie, but you don't have to have your, your whole you know, individual backyard um, that you have to maintain and mow and that no one ever sees you in. Um, and so it's that kind of feeling um, kind of similar to what you'd see in some of the older neighborhoods where you kind of get that sit on the porch feel and talk to your neighbors that you can see, you know, does it have a name that make it easy for me to refer to it? We are calling it the Cottages of Idlewild. Oh, perfect. I love that. So when you're thinking about how the land lease side of that works, how do you determine the lease rate on that? Um, we So basically, we spent um, some time looking at what other um, prog programs around the country charge. Um, it's essentially a nominal fee. It, it does nothing to cover you know, any substantial um, sort of investment into the operations of, of a land trust. The the reason that the land is leased, uh, ours is $50, just so you know, $50, oh, wow. okay. $50 a month. Um, part of that goes into just their lease fee. And then part of that will go into um, a fund that uh, all of the homeowners pay into that as a fund to help with repairs should they need need that in the future. Landscaping, uh, those kinds of things. Roof, yeah, right, okay. or air conditioning, or you know whatever, because they most likely won't have you know ten thousand dollars to just do that up front. Um, but all of our homes will, when we place people in them, they will be to where they won't have any of those issues. We're trying to make them. Uh, brand new, all of those sort of functions that you would need. But again, we want to make sure. So $50 a month. Um, and the real reason that that's charged um, action is to keep track of what's going on in, in the lives of our homeowners. So one of the things that we do, we have a stewardship coordinator and their job is to follow up with those homeowners on a, a normal basis at a minimum once a year, but multiple times a year to make sure you know, they're following through with all the lease things, but more so to figure out and make sure that they're being successful at life. Um, the lease serves as a way for us to say, if they're not paying the lease fee to us, then there's a bigger problem than that. Sure. And we want to step in and make sure that that can be avoided um, where they don't lose their home, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that, that stewardship piece is something that is with the land trust. They, they agree to be a part of the land trust and we follow up with them yearly. And I think that is one thing that um, sort of helps the land trust image um, to, to keep it going. Yeah. I think that kind of answers my next question. Cause I was thinking about mobile homes and the model of that, where you pay a fee for the land access and things like that. But this sounds pretty different than that because there's a lot of concern in those spaces of leases going up and people not being able to afford the land access that they've got. But this sounds like a different model. That's right. Because, you know, again, um, the, the lease fee is, is literally something that is a constant. I mean, most people don't, don't increase it ever. Um, they just do it as a sort of a tracking to make sure that, that there's uh, consistency and being able to pay the bills and that kind of thing. What did you say your original job was? Like your trans transportation engineer. Yeah. Okay. So like, did you, did you feel like, like you got a whole new degree in, in real estate and affordable housing to, to, to do, do all this stuff? Yeah. So I will say um, what I, what I specifically do uh, my job is to figure out where people live and work and how they get, get to and from there. So I knew a lot about how those interactions were and how the transportation system and, and things like households, you know, sort of contribute to that. But I, if I'm being honest with myself, I did not understand that it literally is a whole complete, a whole nother world. Right. I mean, um, having to learn, 
you know, sort of the relationships in the affordable housing arena, uh, having to learn a different sort of city process and how that works. Uh, it, it, you're right, Hayes. It is a it is a whole nother degree. I felt like I've gone to school over the past two years, just like trying to learn on the side. Like, oh my gosh, this is coming at me, you know, like a water main. And and I'm not. Uh, we we talk to people who work for nonprofits and great causes all the time, and obviously they draw salaries for those things. There's no shame in working that field. But are, are you making no money off this? <laughs> are you, is there a small salary for? I mean, what what's yeah. your <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I am currently considered a contract employee for okay. the Raleigh Area Land Trust. Okay, so okay, okay. There, so there is, is some, some operation. There is some yeah. operational funding. Okay. Um, I can. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it pays no, 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 for no, the no. hours I put in. I'm, but no, no, uh, yes. I know. I'm, I'm, I, yes, again, we talk <laughs> to plenty of people. Who, I, 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 yeah, um, you should not. You're, you're not you should not be shamed for making anything. I was just curious. Exactly. And you said one or two people. When you like, how many people are officially in the land trust? Yeah. Um, like, so essentially it is myself and Alexis Trost, who you probably know from other adventures. The two of us have been working uh, with the land trust for two years or more, and we're both contract employees um, that you know get paid by the hour. We probably spend uh, 10 to 15 hours a week, both of us, each one of us uh, on it uh, until the goal is for them to hire a full-time director, hopefully in July of this year. Um, um, operational challenges have been the key to that. Is there anybody who pushes back against what you guys are doing? And and I mean, in twofold one, like what a, a competing developer say, Oh, this isn't fair. This is hurting my business or two. Uh, that, so that would somebody who knows what your business model is and is pushing back against it. Or two, is there pushback from somebody say in this neighborhood now we see lots of people complaining about new developments coming in. So is there a pushback from somebody who doesn't quite understand what you guys are doing and you guys have to educate of, no, we're, we're partnering with Lavelle Moden who grew up in this neighborhood. We're helping people stay in these areas. So are there, are there informed people who are pushing back on what you're doing? And is there other, are there misinformed people? And, and if so, how do you message that? So I think we're so new that people don't quite understand what we're doing. And so there isn't necessarily pushback. I will say that this project in Idlewild is giving us a chance to show that. And I think, um, I think that, that people, agree with the concept of what's going on because they see it firsthand that, you know, gentrification and the home prices are just outrageous that it's just making it, you know, more, more and more difficult for folks to participate. So I think they understand that this will at least help. Is it a solution for everything? No, but it's, it's one part of the solution. Um, as far as developers, I, I just don't think it, that it, that it's on that radar, that it's, it's going to compete with those sorts of things. Right. Cause most of our homes are scattered site, right. So they're going to be one here, one there, one there, you know? Um, and so it doesn't really come up on the radar of things. The, the one thing that I will say we believe could be an issue is folks sometimes have this stigma of, of what affordable housing is. And so if we are putting what we're calling an affordable house between these two house, these two neighbors, right? They will never know that there's any difference between their house and the two houses next door to them. They, they, they have no clue unless they go to the tax database and they can see, hey, this person paid X amount for it. So the only issue I think, Hayes, that will come up is evaluation of homes, right? When people try to sell their homes or is it going to bring down the value of my home? That's the one thing. And so we're, we're working with the county to have those homes that we own be flagged in a different way. So they're not used for sales comps. So they're not used for, you know, that kind of thing, because that's the only way the value would come down, right? Is if somebody says, well, this one sold for $100 a square foot and this one's selling for $250 a square foot. Well, you can't, the, the land trust model has to be removed completely from that because it's just not the same. That actually, that's makes me think too, I mean, hopefully no one ever defaults on the mortgage that they have on the structure, but what does happen in that scenario? Well, so that's another reason why it's good for us to have the lease because we get first right of refusal for anything. So we will nine times out of 10 buy that home back, right? We don't want it to go to the open market. We will do everything in our, 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 our ability to acquire it. However, we don't want it to even get to that. So that's why this stewardship coordinator is so, you know, valuable. They will be sort of 
helping steward along. All right, what can we do to change the situation that you currently have? Is there something you know we can do as a land trust to help? Um, we have relationships with banks. Like, what what are those things? Can we bring additional subsidy? Those kind of things to keep you in that home. Uh, nationwide, the foreclosure rate on land trust homes is like point. Two and a 0.2%, oh, wow. like 0.2%. So uh, when, when all these other homes, you know, in the bad crash in 2009, you uh, think of how many foreclosures there were, land trusts sort of survived that. And it's because multiple reasons, okay. um, but it just sort of is able to, to get rid of the issues that are there. So, yeah. Okay. And with the cottages site, are there existing homes that you're renovating or are you building new? They're all new. It's a blank slate. There's nothing on the site right now. Um, and so we'll be building all from new. Okay. So you charge $50 for the land, you're building new houses, and you're not making money on the sale in the future. How how do you make money? How does this work? <laughs> well, so uh, again, the word nonprofit comes back into play. Sure, here, but, sure. But you have to make some to function. Agreed. agreed. So it literally is um, subsidies from, you know, banks, uh, other private endowments, you know, things like that. So we go after typical grant funds, just like anyone else would. Um, I think we're in a different, a little bit different advantage in that the city and county have a vested interest in affordable housing. And so they are becoming partners as we prove ourselves. Um, And so I think that will make it a little easier, but up to up till now, it has literally all been private donors who have sort of funded our operations and funded the acquisitions that we have in place. Um, so I think that will will need to change, um, you know, as we go down the line. Wow, that's incredible. Yep. Is that one of the things that you do is I mean, grant writing as well and stuff? Yeah, so that's all Alexis. I will not take any credit for that. <laughs> she is fantastic. So she's out there and hears this by chance. She <laughs> she definitely gets the gold star for that. So she has done all of that sort of ground roots, um, getting things in the pipeline. Have I helped? Yeah, of course. And I had relationships, but she's done the hard work there. Um, obviously, affordable housing is this you know huge buzz, buzzword, huge here, huge nationally. And now again, that I've learned that it's not what you know what you went to school for. It's all like information you've learned secondarily. So I won't hold you to these answers. But as somebody who probably knows more than I do, I, I'm also just curious. I, I don't. I obviously know that the, the affordable housing uh, crisis is an issue. But just in context, do you know if Raleigh is about at the national average, way over, slightly under, and Historically, is this are we in the worst housing crisis we ever had? Was there a post-war housing crisis? Like, well, have there been other housing crises right. where land trusts were first invented? Like, uh, do you, whatever information you got there would uh, help educate me. Yeah. So, uh, as you said, I'm sort of behind the eight ball because I started in this you know game late. So I've learned a lot from others. You know, the DHECs, sure. the DHICs, the habitats. You know, th- they're the smart people that have helped us. So I give them full credit. I think um, Raleigh is about the same as a lot of other places across the country when it comes to affordable housing. Um, I don't think we're any worse. I don't think we're any better. Um, You know, there's obviously some, you know, the San Francisco's of the world, the New York's of the world probably have a lot bigger crisis on affordable housing than we do. But for, for the places across the country that are like us, I will say, we're probably in the same ballpark. Now, I do think it is become a really critical issue in the last couple of years. I mean, we've had it for a while, but it's become even worse because of how attractive Raleigh has become and because we've made all these best of lists, right? And so now you have all these Googles and all these other places or players that are now coming to be here and it's just going to get worse because they have good salaries. Those people can, you know, afford a home. They can outbid folks. So I do think we are are facing a, you know, sort of a time crunch of, all right, we either get affordable housing on the ground now, or we're going to really be behind like some of the others. But 17 units at a time. I mean, that's it's tough to it's, crack that. <laughs> it's not going to. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying it's not, it's not just us. I think it's going to take all of the affordable housing uh, developers and then even developers that don't do affordable housing to have some sort of influence in that, in that realm. Are there other, you talked about meeting as an, an advisory group before you decided on a land trust, trust. Are there other ideas or innovations out there that you think are good or working or that we almost went this path, but we think that's another 
creative, affordable house, housing solution we think should be pursued? No, um, we sort of have been stuck on this one for a while. I, I'm sure there are others out there. Um, but um, I think there are other things that we can do as a, you know, as a city, as a county, you know, uh, maybe some of them are a little off the rails, at least in my mind, you know, some things I've thought of that, you know, I've seen other places um, do, but I think, um, I think we're headed in the right direction, but we just need more resources, really. Not not just Ralt. I mean, housing in general, right? Um, and I think that's the only solution for it. And so you're the first to do this in the Raleigh-Wake County area. But why is that? It seems like Raleigh Trusts have been around for a long time. Is it just the complexity and the number of, number of external factors working against it? I I think I think that's part of it, Ashton. I mean, again, Durham has probably one of the longest standing ones. I mean, they, they've been around for 25 years or so. Wow. Um, and so for me, it was kind of surprising that no one had ever attempted it. But I think it is the complexity of it. It's the time and effort that it takes. Again, it just takes a lot. If you don't have financial backing, like if a let's just say a neighborhood individual wanted to start a land trust, I can't imagine what they'd have to learn and do on their own time to make it successful. And so I think that's part of it is having the financial ability to just have someone support it, you know, to get paid, to get it up and running. Um, but I was quite shocked that we didn't have one already. Um, and even in the state, there aren't but four or five of them, you know. Outside of affordable housing, what's something that would be cool for Raleigh to have or something that you've seen in another city, whether it's um, uh, you know, a service or a building or a, a cool thing or a transportation idea? Right. Well, so I think um, – I'm going to do a couple of things. I think our Dick's Park is going a long way in changing the landscape, right? I think a, a, a huge attraction like that is is something that Raleigh is missing. We have we have bits and pieces of, but not something of that scale. Um, I do think a river downtown. I'm totally kidding. Like if we could put a river in downtown, um, I don't know that that's probably no, possible. Uh, you you need to listen to our next podcast episode <laughs> because we're coming out of the gates with water, water. What well, Mitchell Silver <laughs> is all about it. So perfect, we're, we're perfect. just about to release that episode this week. So. Oh, see, good timing. And that, by the way, that was not cued. Uh, I had no <laughs> idea that that was coming. Um, so Dick's Park, obviously. Um, but to be honest, I'm going to say something sort of that might be uh, off the wall or, or maybe unique, but that is, I think we need more black developers and investors in Raleigh. I think we're missing that key element. And I think it it is, is changing the landscape and um, sort of not helping us advance equity and diversity and, and bringing in new ideas and, and and showing people that have traditionally Southeast Raleigh been overlooked, right? And so with that investment, if you have that opportunity and you have those people, uh, those investors and those developers, you know, people see things differently and they want to be a part of the solution in that case. And I think that's the one thing that's missing. You know, um, obviously Holt Brothers has been successful and I, I think I'm hopeful that RRD is going to be one of our partners as well because they bring that solution. You know, Brian Barnett's another one that comes to mind. Um, you know, his crazy self is doing all kinds of cool stuff. Um, I don't know how he does it, but he's doing it. And so it's those kinds of things that I'd like to see. Um, and then that's the development side of, but then also on the investment side, I think we have folks in this region that could be investors in projects, you know, even like ours, for example, and I, I've talked to a bunch of people and, and I'm determined that I'm going to help get this thing started. It might not be right now, but it's sometime in the near future so that there is investment in your own community and that it gives back to your own community and stays in that community because that's what hasn't happened. So that's kind of out there and you may not be what you wanted from me, but it, I, that's been one of the things that I've really been struggling with. Have I sent you small change that website before? Um, mm -mm. Oh, check it out. It is a fantastic opportunity. Actually, the folks over at Just, the podcast, uh, Matt of Durham, Just Averhart and that team interviewed the the leader of that. And it is about how even at like $1,000 levels, people can invest in real estate projects in their neighborhoods. I um, mean, you can kind of pick and choose and it's got all of your accreditations and all of those things behind it. I'll send you the, the link after Sweet. this because it really is an interesting concept. Um, but I want to go back to your idea of needing to have more developers and more investment. 
do you feel like that's the role of city government or do you feel like that's a private um, enterprise opportunity to drive more of that? How, how do we get there? Yeah, so I think it's both. I know that's the easy answer, right? To say, oh, everybody should be a part of it. But so I think I think the government can encourage it. And, and the government also knows a lot of the players that are in the development world that can help bring them to the table. Um, but I do think it's private investment that I think needs to, you know, step into the, the realm of housing and the development that's going on. Because at some point, it's going to be critical for those private developers, uh, or sorry, private um, uh, practices, you know, um, to be a part of the solution because they're not going to be able to have workers that work there. I'm not talking about your highly skilled trained workers at these huge engineering salaries, but like people that, you know, work and help be a part of the operations will not be able to afford to live in our own city. So um, I think it, it's going to take all of us. I, you know, I thought about this, Ashton. If we look at the number of companies that are in Raleigh, like, he, not just small companies, but I mean, headquartered major companies, this, you know, the Cisco's, the, you know, all, all these, where you were getting Pen, shorter and <laughs> Pen, Yeah. Well, right. We're headquartered in Fort Lauderdale, you know? Oh, well, true, true. But I mean, you know, the ones that are staples yep. in the community, yep. bigger, bigger organizations, they don't necessarily have to be from here, but big presence. And I, I you know, it's like, okay, if, if each one of them did a small part, um, and let's say $25,000, $50,000, which is nothing in the bottom line, right? You know, think about taking that, which there's probably, I'd say, 500 companies that have a what I call a presence. Multiply that times $25,000, $50,000, and you now have this big fund for someone like Ralt, right? Which that's kind of our hope is, hey, we have this big fund. Our, our, our ability is to reuse this over and over and over as we sell homes. You know, the money comes back into the pot. We now can go buy other properties. So it's like a, you know, an ever turning thing. So that's where I think private individuals can come into play along with the city piece of preserving the land or donating land, you know, things like that. Those are the things where they can cooperate together, I think. Yeah, I think it'd be great for us to have some kind of quarterback agency or person who kind of connects all the affordable housing dots across not just the the private sector, but the public sector and the nonprofits yep. and, and all of that. But maybe one day. I read somewhere or heard in a podcast, I can't remember, that you were a long time or were a long time YMCA basketball coach. <laughs> Do you know what your basketball coaching record is? You know, I don't, Hayes, I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, so I, I I haven't coached probably, I'd probably say 10 years or more wow. now. But when I will say uh, back in the day when I was coaching right out of college uh, or yeah, when, when I was working, um, I, I did have a pretty good record. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. We, we had a, we had a good run and, um, we were undefeated our last four years in coaching at the Y. And then I moved on to, um, actually North Raleigh Christian Academy and coached there oh, wow. uh, and, and they were also undefeated. So, you know, I, I you know, just a couple I'm, undefeated I'm, seasons. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, what, uh, what, what age kids did you, uh, coach at the Y? Uh, most of mine were sort of middle school. Uh, I did baseball and basketball at the Y and then obviously basketball at North Raleigh Christian. So it was, it was cool. Did you, were you coaching your kids? No, I guess no. right out of college you weren't. I always I have, the, anybody who volunteers to coach is great, but people who are volunteering coaching other people's kids. Uh, I've always had a, a, a we'll, we'll tip my cap too. I said, yeah, so. it was fun. I, I, I loved it. Um, yeah, I don't have kids. Um, but yeah, I, I love doing it. Um, probably we'll pick it back up with my nephew that's coming down the pipeline. So very cool. And if you're not coaching anymore, what do you do for fun? Oh, um, so I will say that, um, I play volleyball, uh, and I play dodgeball, which is probably my favorite sport. Um, and I was, I go to the gym, not that you can tell, and I like breweries. So I think those things sort of all work together. You know, you sort of counteract some of the things balance, that, you do right? that are bad. Yeah, balance. Um, and I grew up at the beach, so I'm a beach person at heart. So I try to stay down there or go down there as much as possible. Um, and then, you know, I'm a fantastic uncle, if I must say so myself. Um, uh, I have uh, three, uh, well, I guess two nephews and, and a niece. 
Um, and so that's fantastic. And obviously, uh, married to my wonderful husband and we have a chocolate lab. So that's takes up all of our time. That sounds like enough. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so if people are listening and they want to learn more about the Raleigh area land trust or even the cottages, what's the best way to follow along or get involved or just learn more? Yeah, so um, you can go to Ralt, R-A-L-T dot org. Um, that's where all of our information is, um, uh, you know, becoming a homeowner, all that stuff is on that site. Um, or you can reach out to me at Rhett, R-H-E-T-T, at Ralt dot org. Um, be happy to talk more about it uh, with you. Um, and that's where mo- most I- of our information is. I was just going to say, I'm glad you guys went with Raleigh Area Land Trust because Raleigh Little Theater would not have liked you uh, honing in on the RLT uh, um, branding. So I'm glad you're Ralt instead of RLT. That's big. It was a painful decision to come out of that. We we went through a lot of uh, renditions of what our name would be. I like it. But you kind of miss those those kinds of challenging decisions, though, (laughs) compared to what you're dealing with now. (laughs) That would be an easy decision now compared to what we're working with. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Yep. And thanks for everything you're doing for the city. And uh, it's it's really cool to see somebody who said, hey, I kind of saw a problem and decided to dive into it. So uh, thanks for sharing with us uh, what you're doing. I appreciate it. And I appreciate y'all giving me the opportunity to chat. I've enjoyed it and look forward to talking to y'all sometime soon. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for listening to Podcast Rally. Review us on your favorite podcast app. If you like this episode, share it with a friend. Want more of Raleigh Magazine in between issues? Visit RaleighMag.com and subscribe to our newsletters. They come out Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Five-minute read keeps you up to date. And especially on Friday, dish on this, where to eat, where to drink, what to do this weekend. Subscribe for free at RaleighMag.com.